morning guys how are y'all y'all seem like y'all came in here ready to worship Jesus in this place today I love it I love it I love it we are walking into a brand new series today and uh, I'm just telling you it's been an incredible challenge for me this first week so I'm kind of expecting the same thing for you that um there's a little bit of pain in the growth that has to come with what I have to share with you today. Uh, it's a reality check for us in this world that we live in. And uh, hopefully you've already read the, read the title to the message and, and you begin to see where we're going. So I'm going to walk through this with you for a few minutes and then uh, I'm going to stop and pray. And then we're going to dig on in a little bit further and go deeper. So we already know the end of the story. We know how it ends. We know... <clears throat> What Jesus did, even at the end of the Gospels, we know that the, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the promise to come again, we know, we know, we know. We've got that part. But there's time before he comes back. And what do we do with that time before he returns to the earth? That's what I want to talk about today. And it actually brings us into some real life uh, occurrences, some real life activities, some real life challenges that come before us every single day of our life uh, if you watch the news this morning if you watched it this week if you followed a, a twitter feed or a, a, a facebook feed or a instagram feed or a snapchat feed you probably saw some of this happening even today here's what i'm talking about is it possible just a few questions for you and me to think about as we jump forward in this is it possible that things in this world could actually get worse. I'll let you decide that. We'll figure it out. Can people actually dive deeper into the world of sin? They're blowing my mind. Sometimes I blow my mind in that same way. Will those who deceive even get more creative? I mean, it's like, well, yeah, yeah, okay, yes. Well, one more that I think about, could, could right and wrong become more cloudy? All of these things are real-life things that we have to face every single day. I think about you as adults in this room. Even retired adults in this room, you face this today. Those of us who are going into an office or working in retail or whatever we do, we're running into this every day. If you're a college student, this is plastered all over your university. I don't care if it's the best Christian university in the United States or whether it's in New England and it's lost its mind. And then we've got high school and middle school and elementary students. Everyday occurrence that this happens. All right, so enough doom and gloom for a second. Let's pick ourselves up for a second and ask another question. Over the last couple of hundred years here in the United States, we have experienced multiple great awakenings. I took you through several of these as we walked through the Rattle series several months ago. Uh, awakenings where people never saw it coming and then God was stirring in people like you could never have imagined. Could that happen again in the United States? Could there be another great awakening? Well, absolutely there could be. I think of one more. Could this be 
the last generation before Jesus' return? Well, sure, it could. But what do we do with all this? With all this stuff that's going on, with the potential of, of having an amazing, great awakening, awakening and, and a revival, a true rattling in the land, what could this really look like? And what did Jesus tell us so that we would be ready for this when it comes? The reality is these questions are not new. The struggle with these questions have taken place literally since the day that Jesus ascended back to the Father. But some of these were even struggles prior to Jesus going to the cross. And they just keep growing and growing and growing. And if you read the biblical accounts from the disciples as well as the Apostle Paul, you quickly discover that they believed that the end would certainly happen during their lifetime. The ones who walked with Jesus for years and years and watched him be crucified and touched him, that ate with him, that talked with him after he was resurrected from the dead, they thought that the end was like then. They thought it was just about to happen. The apostle Paul came years later. He saw Jesus as well. We read about that last week. And then we discover that Paul's in his entire in every writing that he had almost pushed and encouraged to the point that yeah this is probably it this is the end that is in sight right now for almost 2,000 years this has been the case every generation has thought this has got to be it another world war this has got to be it this this gross epitome of sin that has become this has got to be it it really can't get worse than this and then guess what it did and it does and it did and it does and it did and it does and guess what here we are in 2022 and the same thing is happening again we didn't imagine whenever we started this year that we'd hear words like this could be world war three we didn't imagine when we started this year that some of the things that we're calling uh, freedom in your personal life would be an abomination to the very God that we worship and we live in that society today. And so we will be the ones that next say, this is probably it. It really can't get any worse than this. Sin really can't be multiplied anymore. It can't get any grayer. It can't get any more cloudy. We're going to plow through this over the next couple of weeks. Here's what I'm going to call the whole picture. The whole picture is living life with the end in sight. Like you've got a, a telescope or binoculars and you can see way out in front of you what you need to see. But we want to learn to live today with what Christ is going to do in the future. We want to learn to live that way. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 24 today. He's, uh, according to, if you put all the Gospels together and you look at this, he appears to have four of his disciples with him. And a couple of things that we need to keep in mind before we even start reading Matthew chapter 24. First is this, Jesus has just told them that they won't see him again until they hear the words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which is, we're just a few chapters away from where, we're gonna, where we would read that, where we read that a couple of weeks ago. That's Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But he said, you're not going to see me again until that time. That's uh, Jesus' triumphal entry. These, these men are all Jewish men who have put their faith in Christ. So in a very real sense, they are Messianic Jews. They have put their faith in Jesus. And like we talked about last week, they don't just know about Jesus. They don't just believe that he exists. 
they are at a point where they know him in their heart. It shows up when Peter and John uh, see that Jesus is missing at the grave, and they saw and they believed. It wasn't just something that they realized had happened. It was something that had changed their lives. They know Jesus. And because of their religious upbringing, uh, they would have been familiar with the Old Testament because it is all they had. And so if you go all the way to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15, you're going to see that Jesus says, as in the book of Daniel, or as the prophet Daniel said, well, these guys would have been very familiar with Daniel and knew about him. Uh, we know some things about uh, the end times. We know some things about the revelation of God. We know that God gave uh, John uh, on the Isle of Patmos the revelation. So we're going to be reading in between all of that where Jesus speaks up and speaks out and speaks to us very clearly. So all that said, there are mountains of information that we can learn in the book of Daniel as he points to the future and what's going to happen. Jesus even said, blessed are those who read and understand the words of the revelation. We have some pieces of that that we get. Today, we're going to read from what Jesus said himself, his own words while he was here on earth. And as we read and study this today, we read it in the context of the entire Bible. So we read it in the context of Daniel and in the context of the revelation. Uh, but we do this. We put it all together, all of it together for another day. That would take a while. But for today, I want to challenge you just to hear the words of Jesus and to see how it applies to our lives today. We're not even going to add anything. We're not going to, we're not going to look at the other context. We're going to look just what Jesus said in this today <clears throat> so that we can learn to live our lives with the end in sight. All right, you got it? I'm so glad they just sang that song because one of the last, um, uh, when Jasmine was singing here, uh, we're okay because we know it is well because he is with us. It's well because he's with us. So we can deal with this because he is with us. Let's walk through this, okay? Whether you're with us online or whether you're with us in this room, let's pray because we got some deep stuff to dig in. You ready? All right, Father, we need you in this place. Matter of fact, we just said it. <clears throat> You were the same God of Daniel. You were the same God of John who gave the revelation. Lord, you are God. Jesus, you give us this word today. Same God. Lord, we need your peace as we approach a subject that all of us in this room, all of us that are listening online, all of us will have to deal with this as we walk and as we live for you. Help us, teach us by your great power. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's dig into this. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. <clears throat> we're going to go through about 14 verses. So we're going to be smoking through this. I'll be talking a little fast. You can go back and you can actually slow it down on Spotify and listen to it if you need to. Verse 1 says, As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. <clears throat> but he responded, do you see all these buildings? And I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Now, Jesus had been with the disciples apparently in the temple. They had walked down through the Kidron Valley, which when you went back up, you would have come up on top of the Mount of Olives. 
So it was the highest area around. They've got a panoramic view, one of the best cities and one of the best views in all of Jerusalem. And all they can see, everywhere they look, they see the temple grounds. They see the temple. And they are in awe of it. The temple was beautiful. God gave the instructions of exactly how it was to be built. It was an amazing sight. It was, it was the center of life for the nation of Israel. It was a, it was a holy ground. It was, a, it was a spiritual high point. People still go there today for that purpose. They make that journey back to the holy place, to the holy land in Jerusalem. The presence of the Lord was there. So the idea that all of this would just be gone for those disciples was too much to take in. Really, all, all, this that we, all this that we're looking, it's just going to be gone? No, how? Verse 3, later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. So this is apparently just moments later. It appears in my mind as I read this. So the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when all of these, uh, tell us when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? In their mind, this is now, this is soon, this is about to happen. And they wanted to know when the destruction of the temple would happen. Now, the answer to this one is given in Luke. John doesn't give, I mean, uh, uh, Matthew doesn't give it to us uh, here, but Luke does. Luke 21 and verse 20, Jesus foretold, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. Her complete destruction is happening when you see it surrounded by the armies. Now, this clear sign would signal the beginning of the end of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. It was a prophecy that was literally fulfilled in 70 AD. You're less than 40 years later and what Jesus said would happen, happened. This also confirmed Jesus to be the prophet, the one that knew it all, the one that had all the answers. History reports it like this. Who was that army that came up? Well, that army was the Roman army. They attacked Jerusalem for days. It was fortified. It was a tough place to break into. You see it now. There's still part of one little wall that is standing, the Western Wall. Here's what happened. As the city was shrinking, the men and women of Jerusalem kept gathering all of the gold and silver, all of their, their, their best of their best together in the safest place, in the most fortified place in the city. And it kept coming into shrinking more and more and more into the temple itself. And according to history, the Roman leader Titus told his soldiers to cease and not destroy the temple. But in their anger, they not only kept destroying the temple, they burned it. They burned it like to the ground. And guess what happened after they torched this place? It got so hot that the gold and silver, according to history, melted down into the rocks and became a new mortar there. And out of their selfishness and out of their wanting to plunder, all the Roman soldiers found these large steel rods of some kind and pulled up all of the stones in order to get the gold and silver out and to take it with them as spoils of the war. Guess what that literally tells us? Not one stone was left unturned. Do you see the prophetic 
piece of that that comes from the very mouth of Jesus. In verse 4, Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. And you will hear wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against nation, and there will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. This is just the start. Now, people are looking for a Savior. There seems to be almost in our DNA something that will save us, something that will make it right. Some have found and believe that that is themselves. Others are looking for a Savior. We sing about the Savior, who is the same one who was there with Daniel. He is the same one who is with us today. People are looking for a Savior. We can easily be swayed. We can be deceived. Jesus was spot on this as always. Just a real quick glance at, uh, at the Internet, at Wikipedia even. And you can go back and you can prove the things that are said here uh, in, this, in this instance for sure. The first Jewish leader to claim to be Jesus became known in 115 A.D. Less than 100 years after Jesus physically left this earth, somebody was already claiming to be Jesus. Now, that was a Jew who tried to do that. Non-Jewish claimants, which is people who claim to be Jesus who are not Jews, uh, which is complete contradiction of Scripture because, well, Jesus was clearly Jewish. Okay? List at least 27 people who have claimed to stand in the role of Jesus within the 19th and 20th centuries alone. 27 people. You'll know some of these names, just, and I'm not, I want you to be aware that this has happened. Uh, Sun Young Moon in the 1950s, considered within the Unification Church as the Messiah and as the second coming of Christ. Some of you in this room lived through that. Here's another one Jim Jones claimed to be the reincarnation of Jesus. He also claimed to be Buddha. He also claimed to be Vladimir Lenin. He also claimed to be Father Divine prior to leading a mass suicide of all of his followers in November of 1978. And yes, I remember that. And many of you in this room remember that. The third one I think about Marshall Applewhite claimed to be Jesus and the Son of God prior to leading Heaven's Gate cult in a mass suicide. Uh, while they were waiting on a spaceship from Hellbop back in March of 1997. It really hasn't been that long that somebody claimed to do that, and people followed them. One that most of you in this room, a name that is kind of uh, torched in our brain, if you will. April of 1993, a man by the name of David Koresh, the Branch Davidian sect in Waco, Texas. He claimed to be the Son of God the lamb all of these have something in common they're gone they're dead most of them ended up leading lives where people would commit suicide in their following i tried to follow up to see where this was going and as of 2021 there's still a man in australia who claims to be the messiah that's present day guys it's within the last year that this is happening. 
So Jesus was more than spot on. It was exactly as he said it would be, and it was then, and it is now. Verse 9 in Matthew 24 says this, And then you will be arrested and persecuted and killed, and you will be hated all over the world because, of your, because, of my, because you are my followers. You will be hated because you are my followers. Verse 10, And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. And sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. So that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Now. There's a lot of pieces there. There's a lot of stuff for theirs to gather. Ray Stedman said it like this, and, and uh, in case you've never been familiar with Ray Stedman, Ray Stedman was uh, the mentor of Chuck Swindoll. So I just keep going back to see where these great guys got great stuff from, and we end up going back to the same guys every single time, all the way back to the disciples. It's kind of cool. But Ray Stedman said this, He, Jesus, looks across the centuries, and he outlines the perils that lie between his first and his second coming, thus describing the very age that we live in. So it looked like it then, and it looks like it right now. Things have not changed. It's not just them, it's us. It's not just then, it's now. So Jesus is talking about, Jesus is talking to the disciples first. And he says, you will be persecuted and you will be killed. What do we know about all of the disciples except for one? That's exactly what happened. They became martyrs for Christ. It says you will be hated just because you follow Jesus. And as a believer, as a follower of Christ, welcome to the club. If you truly stand for Christ, if you want to share the truth of his word and the gospel, you will not always be loved. It won't happen that way. But then he says, many will turn away, many will be deceived. And if you know Jesus, this won't happen. If you know Jesus, you won't turn away. You might, I'm not saying you won't have doubts. I'm not saying that you won't mess up. But you won't turn away if you know Christ. These times will separate the genuine followers from those who just know about Jesus. If you know Jesus, you won't turn away. Sin, he says, will be overwhelming. Welcome to the world in 2022. People are coming up with new ways to celebrate and find approval for sin every single day. We try to sign sin into law so that nobody can tell you not to sin. It's how humans roll. It's what we do apart from God. We're selfish. We're self-seeking. We think we can take care of things all on our own. It is our human depravity, if you will. It's where we go if left alone. And as a church and as Christians, I believe that we have to own some of this. When, we, when, when, when the light of the church is not shining the night will twist things like crazy. So we got to shine. We've got a job that Christ has called us to do. America is proving this right now when we as the church are not shining. 
those who are not following Christ will take it as far as humanly possible and to places and ways that we never could have imagined. God did not call us or his church to just exist. He called us to emit his light so that others might want and desire who he is and what he has done. So then he says, endures to the end. That's those who have been saved, those who have changed, the true followers of Jesus. And the good news will be preached all over the world to every nation. Now, one of the interesting things you'll discover as you study this passage is that there's a question of when, who, and how this will happen. What we know is that it will happen. That's what matters. So how do we, how do we live life with the end in sight? Knowing what Jesus has taught us here, how do we do this? Real life story real quick, and then I'm going to give you three things, and then you're going to have to deal with this for the rest of the week. Anybody remember what happens when you turn 15? Big deal. Anybody know what happens when you turn 15? Clearly, y'all don't see what happens coming into the drive here on Wednesday nights. There's a new driver every single week, it seems like. Some really good ones and some really bad ones. But here's the real deal. It'll probably happen today, so I probably don't want to even say this, but uh, it's been a long time since I've had an accident long time when I was 15 I thought I knew how to drive I'd been driving a truck in the pasture hauling hay for years probably four years by then I've been driving ATVs and go-karts man I thought I knew this but I'm just telling you and you know this is not news to you it's different when there's cars coming towards you at 60, 70 miles an hour. It's different when there's 18 wheelers that go flying by you and such. I wasn't but a couple of weeks into learning, into learning to drive at 15. My dad would take me every single time. He had an opportunity to teach me to drive. I had a hard time though. I kept jerking the wheel back and forth, keeping it between the lines. Especially on the country roads out at West Limestone, it was kind of a big deal because if you jerked it too hard, you could be in the ditch before you knew it. And here's the reality of what happened. My dad stopped me one day when we were sitting at a stop sign and he said, Ross, where are you looking? And I said, right in front of us. He said, really? Where, like, how far out are you looking? I said, I don't know, maybe, maybe 30 feet, 10, 15 yards. He said, son... No wonder you can't keep it in the road. You can't do it looking right in front of you. You've got to look out. You've got to look way out in front of you. And then guess what? Within like a day, I went from this right this all the time to being able to smoothly drive because I was looking out in front of me. Listen, this is a true story that has to happen for us too. If you want to understand how to live now, you can't just look right here. You've got to look out. For what's to come that's what jesus is warning us that's what jesus is telling us here right now i want to help you do this here you go one two and three chuck swindoll described this in three great ways it was so good i want you to take this home the first one is this reject every temptation to live in fear reject it that's what jesus is telling us here do not live in fear you know what's coming these are just birth pains the things Jesus told us can easily make us anxious. They can make us fear. They can make us be to, to a spot where we actually get scared. And Jesus' intent is exactly opposite to this. Because of what you know, 
Don't be afraid. We can handle things better when they know they're coming, usually. This is one of those that ought to live like that. And he lays it all out for us. For those who do not believe in Christ for their eternal salvation, the events that Jesus is talking about here, they will scare them to death. Hopefully, it will bring them to a point where they want what Christ has offered them. That's what we are for. That is the light that we are supposed to emit. But if we know Jesus, he's calling us to live. Not just for what's right in front of us, but for what's to come. And for what's to come, it ought to affect what's right in front of us. That's where we ought to be living. To live for the purpose that he's given us. To love people and to to love them enough to tell them about Jesus. And since ultimately, if you truly want to understand what Jesus is teaching us here, you do have to study Daniel. You do have to study the Old Testament. You do have to study the New Testament. You do have to study the Revelation to ultimately understand what Jesus is teaching. I want to give you an Old Testament, New Testament verse to help you with this. Isaiah 41 says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will hold you up with my righteous right hand. And then in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and of self-discipline. We don't have to live life in fear. We can live in victory. That's what happened when Jesus says, It is finished. It was a victory chant. And we get to live that out. He is our living hope. And in Jesus, nothing can take that away. And according to Jesus, we are foolish if we try to pick a date for his return. We'll read this again next week, but it's too good not to share. In Matthew 24 and verse 36, he says, However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels or even the Son himself. How about that? Not even Jesus knows what that day is. It is for the Father alone. But like the disciples, we want to know the when. We want to know when he's coming back. We just have to know that he is coming back. And then we live this day like it is the last day. That is what we're supposed to call. That's what we're called. That's what we're supposed to live every single day. We glorify him when we do that. Here's the second one real quick. We rely on him. We remember that God is completely sovereign. Remember that God is completely sovereign. None of this takes him by surprise. The world events that are going on all around us, the sin that has been multiplied in so many ways that we have a hard time even telling which one's what sin and how far it's gone, none of this is a surprise to him. He allowed this stuff to happen or it wouldn't be here. He is sovereign. Nothing happens. None of these labor pains become real unless he allows them to be seen and experienced. He knows about them. They should keep us focused on the prize. Old Testament Psalm 115 and verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens and he does as he wishes. New Testament Romans 8 and 28, and I love this verse as much as you do, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He will use these things for his glory. So let's be honest with ourselves. Jesus knows us well, and he knows that if you're like me, if you knew what that date was, you would treat it like a final at school. 
And even though your teacher told you to start studying in January for the test you're about to have in May, most of us will put it off until the last minute and we'll cram as much as we can in in that last few hours in those last couple of days. It's the way we live our lives. Jesus knows us humans. If we knew what that day was, most of us, we wouldn't do anything until we knew that was the year. And then we'd go all out, we'd sell everything, we'd forsake everything else and we'd go after him. And what he's saying, forsake everything else and go after me now. Live like that day is now. Watch now. Last thing is this. Rely on God's word whenever you feel uncertain or insecure. Rely on God's word whenever you feel uncertain or insecure. All of us have doubts. Don't be afraid of the doubts. Just know where to take them. Your kids that, that come to Jesus, and, and, and I know because my daughter met Christ literally at four and a half. You think she didn't have doubts? Well, sure she did, but so did her dad have doubts. So do we still have doubts? We do. It's real. It's something that happens in our lives. All of us have this. All of us have moments of insecurity. All of us have moments of uncertainty. But Jesus said, you've got some things you can be certain in. And you can't just look here and see certainty. You've got to look out there and see certainty. He is certainty. Those people that believed in and chased after the false messiahs, they believe 100% so much to the point that they would die for it. Yet we have a living Savior. Why would we not be willing to go that far for him no matter what it took? Not crazy stuff like committing suicide and drinking Kool-Aid. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about following Jesus as genuinely as possible, no matter what it takes you, no matter where it carries you. Ray Stedman said, Jesus' big point in this whole thing, don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. Watch. Keep your eyes open. Evaluate. Test. Test the spirits. Bring everything to test that you might understand the true character of the movements and the pressures. For the predominant note of the age will be one of deceit and confusion. And he says, look out. Don't get fooled. Don't be deceived. Old Testament, Psalm 119 105 says, your word is a, is a lamp to guide my feet and to light my path. Your word. When it doesn't make sense, go back to the word. Paul says at Romans 15 and verse 4, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So when it gets confusing, when it doesn't make sense, when somebody is claiming something that you know can't be true, go back to the Word and see what Jesus says in that. It's incredible. It's supernatural that Jesus gave us a heads up on these things that will happen, that are happening. We know it. We live it right now. But he also told us that these things are just birth pains. They're not the sign. They're just birth pains. Smile through it. Knowing that you know the truth because you get to read the truth of what Jesus told us. I want you to stand across this room. 
You have to respond to what Jesus has given you in this moment. It's not a game. It's not a fear tactic. But some of you in this room don't know the hope of Christ. And he said, repent and believe. Don't just believe that he was, but believe that he can change you from the inside out. That he is the one. And I want you to trust him like that. If you would bow your heads with me, so what do we do? We don't worry about what's to become because it's really happening. But Jesus said it would be like this. Trust his sovereignty no matter what. And cling to Jesus in his word. And with the living word and with his written word, our calling is the same. Go tell somebody. Love people in the name of Jesus so that they can know the same Christ that we know. Jesus loves them. He died for them just like he loves you and he died for you. He came back on the third day and he's coming back. And we look forward and we look ahead and we know that's coming. Lord Jesus, help us. Draw us near to you. If we need to get something right in our lives because we are fearing, help us to do that today. Bring us to your altar. If we need to get our lives right with you, Lord, as we trust you by grace through faith today, help us do that in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. If the Lord is speaking to you, I want you to come find Drew. Come find me. Find a friend. Come talk to somebody. Let's get this thing dealt with, dealt with right now.